0: Buenos Dias. Oh man, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm also tired. Um, we uh, I crawled in bed last night around 2:30 uh, from an incredible, incredible mission trip to Guatemala with seven other um, just people from our Zero Collective team. And what's incredible is um, this has nothing to do with my message, by the way. Um, as I'm sitting right here, and Robin and I had conversation a little bit about World Vision, um, I had no idea Robin was going to share part of, part of their journey. And what's incredible for me is hearing a mother just share the deep desire, right, to see kids not just have access to clean water, but we have to understand that when they, they receive this uh, this access to clean water, they receive also access to the gospel. We're not just talking a physical life change, we're talking a spiritual life change. And a lot of times we overlook that. Guatemala, we, we had the opportunity to see some of the ministries that um, we would partner with. And one of the ministries is a water filtration ministry. Water. Basic thing for many of us that we don't even think about, water. Something that many of us take for granted, water. Some, some of us even take the extra long showers just because we know the water is not going to run out. We are driving home from one of our days and uh, Friday, and we had to go a different route. Because in Guatemala, it's broken up in zones. and Zone 18, one of the poorest zones in Guatemala, was actually protesting. Hundreds upon hundreds of people blocking the interstate in protest because they don't have clean water. Traffic was backed up for hours and hours and miles and miles, and we had to find an alternate route to get in. By the way, there are two ways to get into Zone 18. One of them is blocked. Water, something that is so basic, but yet for many people, is the biggest challenge in their life. And like Robin said, I—I I, this is just me as as a, a fellow friend, not even pastor. I really hope you take her up on the opportunity to sit and just listen about this, because I remember a few years ago having the same mentality. You want me to run. How many miles? But the impact is far greater than we will ever know. So I really hope you take her up on that. Um, Now we're going to go into the message. How many of you guys ever watch late night TV? Yeah, see, not many of us are um, as not smart as myself. I like to stay up late. And one of my favorite guys, uh, Court and I, when we would stay up super late, sometimes we would watch one of my favorite dudes, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, right? And Jimmy Fallon plays this game where they put this box on a table and they can't see what's in the box, but there's two holes on either side and, and they're feeling what's inside the box. And they're trying to guess what's inside this box, but they can't see it. They, they can't even smell it. They can't even hear it. All they get is feeling it. And so maybe it's, maybe it's soft. Maybe it's fluffy. Maybe it's hard and scaly. Maybe what do we do if it suddenly moves? And they put this mental picture based off of one, one thing, their sense of touch. Oftentimes, the contestant might get it right, but there are a few times where the contestant is so far off. But how can they be so far off? It's like right in their hands, right? How can you be so far off when you are holding it in your hands? But what if they are missing a good portion of the actual image or the actual thing? Because all they get is this. What if they're only seeing and feeling, interacting with just a portion of what's actually in the box. Their perception is only what they are feeling. It's a limited image. It's not the whole picture. I think oftentimes we do this too, though, right? We want to show one frame in our life, one perfect image in our life, and have everyone believe that to be true. But what if the reality looks different? It's kind of like this. If you were to look at this image right here, I look at this image and I'm like, man, like they are incredibly athletic and strong. The core strength, look at the neck strength. But then if you actually get the full picture, this is what's actually going on. But we only see one frame of it. Or, or what about this? Most of us can identify with this one, I think, in these past few years. If you look at this next one, man, that is a. they're working from home. The bed is nice and neat. The laptop is all set and ready. But the reality is... <laughs> Hot Mess Express, yes! right? And I don't know if we have it. Do we have the other one, Josh, or no? No. Uh, Josh and I, so before I left for Guatemala, um, right over in that corner, I actually filmed this message for the fact that I had no idea if I was actually going to make it back into the States, let alone what time. And if you were to look at the video that was put together, it would have looked really nice and cropped. Lights were at, like, looking really good. But if you were zoomed out, you would have seen cameras and cords and lights everywhere. We had a light on a, a ladder. We had some cameras on different things, propped up, aiming at the right angles and everything. The, the frame was different depending on what lens you looked at it with. The frame was different depending on what lens you looked at it with. And I think when we think about our lives, I think that applies to our lives. A lot of times we want everything to be Instagrammable perfection. If I can at least get you to perceive how my life actually is, then you will actually buy into it. If you perceive that my kids are so well behaved always, and they listen on the first time, and they stay in their bed at night. If I can get you to just think that by this little frame I put on Instagram, maybe just maybe you will believe it. But the reality is far different, right? My kids run around like chickens with their heads cut off. They don't stay in their bed that great at night. So what frame are we looking at? Here's what I want to go after today. It's a very simple statement, but I think it has very big implications for us today. When we reframe our mind, we can restore our perspective. When we reframe our mind, we can restore our perspective. So simply put, for many of us today, what may God be asking you right now, us even, to reframe and see through a new lens, to see things how he does And he has been seeing them rather than our own perspective. What needs to be reframed to get the bigger picture today? Oftentimes, it also comes out and plays out in the simple question of, well, how do two people go through the same exact thing but with such different results? Right? We see two people going through the same exact thing. Two people get diagnosed with the same type of cancer, and one just simply clams up inside, never to leave again. Life is over. Life is done. I'll just sit in my chair and let it fade away. But the other one, same type of cancer, same news, same doctor, says, I refuse to just stay here and live the rest of my life in this chair. I believe God still has something out there. And if I'm still breathing, he's not done with me yet. So I'm going to live life in his presence every opportunity I get. Same situation, radically different perspectives. Or what about people at the same job, same wages, same place? One keeps grumbling how much they hate their boss. How much this work just stinks. Why am I even here? But the other one, I'm so thankful I have a job that I can provide for my family, that I get to get up every day and I get to worship God for providing and sustaining me and my family. Same jobs, same situations, different perspectives. How about a car breaking down? Some of us maybe would get out. You do the kick old tire and ah, come on. You get frustrated and how could this happen? Don't they? Doesn't my car understand I have stuff to do today? Like the car actually has a brain, right? But the other person might get out and look all around and see all of God's beautiful creation. Take a moment just to breathe it in and figure out, well, maybe the tow truck will be here in 30 minutes, maybe an hour and a half. But whatever one it is, I'm, I'm just going to make it the best of this time I have. Same situation, different perspectives. The framing is radically different. How we perceive and interact with stuff is radically different. And that's the key to it. We have to recognize the lenses that we have on and then also recognize that we have to remove them to lean on God and and see this life that he gives us through his lens. The Apostle Paul does this really well. He does this incredibly well, actually. If you were to turn to Philippians 1, this is what it would say, uh, 12 through 14. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole place, or whole palace guard, to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and the sisters have become confident in the Lord. And they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, I don't know about you. um, Personally, I haven't been arrested yet. And so I don't know what that necessarily feels like to be in chains. But what's intriguing in, in so many ways is as Paul is writing this, he's sitting in chains in a prison, a cold, a damp, not comfortable, no lazy boys, prison. And, and we see his, his lens that he looks at this situation with is radically different than what I would look at it with. Because look at how he talks about this. What's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, because I'm in prison, it's actually been a good thing. He, in a way, is saying, you know, that hey, God is using this moment, this situation in his life right now to continue to advance the gospel, the kingdom. We have to remember that even when he was in prison, God is working dynamically in Paul's life. We can't also overlook that Paul's life mission, after his coming to Jesus moment, his life mission was literally to proclaim the gospel in the most disturbing places, in in Rome and in all the places where the Gentiles would dwell. And he specifically was trying to go after Rome. And so yet, yet, if you were to ask him, how do you think you're going to get to Rome, Paul? His response would probably be, you know, I don't know, find a way, maybe ride a horse, maybe a boat. Maybe a Tesla. I don't know. But I'm sure he didn't have in his mind the best way to get to Rome to advance the gospel was to be put in jail. That's not my best way. And my guess is it's probably not many of our best way. But yet, this verse, these few verses, particularly reframes his perspective as an advantage for the gospel. He wanted to bring the good news to the Romans. And it says right there that, in another translation, it says that many of the palace guards are now believers because of Paul being there. In prison, he writes many letters. He writes the letters of Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians while chained up. I think a lot of times in our lives, we can overlook things and say, man, God, I feel like like this is just wasting my time right now. This whole situation and circumstances that I'm in, what's really the point of this? Help me understand it. The, The truth, though, is that God doesn't waste time in our lives. But we may miss it or even neglect it if we don't have the right lens on. See, God's using Paul in prison. It's not the ideal circumstances, obviously not the ideal place. It's not the ideal anything. But yet, God is using him dynamically. In the book, Winning the War in Your Mind, Craig puts it as this simple term called collateral goodness. Collateral goodness. This idea that God is working and moving even in situations that we see or we feel are bad or painful even. Even in moments in our lives where we maybe are frustrated because something doesn't go the way that we think it should. But yet God is moving. God is working. Collateral goodness. And we see very clearly Paul's heart and his mindset in these short verses here. There's this joy in the midst of trial. There's this provision in the midst of even lacking. There's working in the midst of loneliness and isolation. And when we reframe our minds to see the circumstances and the events and how God is working, we can get a divine perspective for our lives. If we can reframe our mind to see what God is actually doing, we get a glimpse, of divine perspective for our own lives. There are so many days where I would just love to remember that simple truth. And I would love to have the glimpse of the divine perspective. A a very well-known proverb, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. In all your ways submit to him, and he'll make your paths straight the word here of trust can actually be translated to lie helpless. It could also be translated to be face down. So essentially what the writer here is saying is when he says trust in the Lord to lie down, to almost lie helpless down and give full control over to the Lord. To give everything, not withholding anything, not reserving certain stuff. It's this idea when we trust in the Lord, it's it's the same idea of a servant waiting for his master's command. It's the same idea of a soldier yielding himself, waiting for the general's instructions. To trust in the Lord means to totally surrender. Not withholding anything. How many times have I read this scripture? Have maybe even we read this scripture? And there's this reality that I think a lot of us say, yeah, 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 yeah. I I trust in the Lord with all my heart. But this little sliver over here, the sliver of my relationships, I don't know if I can trust him with that. Because all the girls or all the guys he keeps bringing into my life are not the ones I'd want. I'm going to hold on to this, but I'll trust him in everything else. Yeah, 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 I, I, I trust in the Lord with all of my heart, ex- except for when he calls me to go and serve and to do something that is really uncomfortable for me. I'm, I'm going to kind of hold on to that control. But everything else is fair game. That's cool. That's good. But I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Half-trust in God actually means no trust in God. Come on, somebody. That's a good line right there. Half-trust in God means no trust in God. If we are half-trusting in God and saying, everything is good, but he doesn't get this, I really have no trust in him at all. How many times do we fall into this trap? How many times? Over and over and over and over again. Oh, I trust in the Lord with all my heart, but he can't touch that piece. Half-trust in God means no trust in God. When we are half-trusting in him, it's it's almost like saying to him, God, I believe you are God and you are good, but there's something over here that I trust above you. That might be myself, that might be something in the world, that might be an uh, idol of money, that might be an idol of job, it might be even an idol of relationships or addictions. I trust in you, but God, this area right here, I don't know if I can trust you to be God over that area. If I don't give and believe that God can be and should be Lord of all, am I allowing him to be Lord of any? It's almost like building a house. And in half of it, you build with a solid foundation. And the other half, you, you kind of take a shovel and you dig out a little hole and you put a piece of wood in there and you put another post over here and then you attach it to the other half with just some wood and, and there's some dirt and sand and it holds up. Holds up. But then rain comes. Then storms come. Then an issue comes. And you get caught up with the wrong people. And they know where you live and they're just going to knock down that piece of your house. You all know what happens when the side that you built on a faulty foundation goes? The whole house comes down. One of the most intriguing things this past week that we saw as we were driving is that uh, this is actually the story of many houses. This is the story of many houses. There are many poor communities, and as part of that, part of the house is on a firm, solid rock type of foundation. They literally would go and and blow out half of a, a mountainside and then build off of the mountainside their houses. But in the rainy season, when the rain comes, the dirt starts to wash down. And can you imagine being in the house watching the rainfall, and all you keep thinking is, "Is this actually going to stand? And then you start to feel it go. And you don't lose half the house, you lose the whole house down the mountainside. Everything you've worked hard for, every update you've tried to do, every moment that you've placed into this place is now gone. Because you built it on a faulty foundation. You trusted half of your house on the good stuff. And you trusted half of it on the bad. Can you imagine this situation in our life? It's the situation where we say, God, I trust you in all these relationships. But I don't know if I can trust you in the relationship of a spouse, so I'm going to handle that one. I'll trust you in a relationship with my friends. I'll trust you in a relationship with my parents. I'll trust you in a relationship with my fa- family. But for my spouse, I'm going to own that one because I think I know what's best. Or it's, God, I trust you in all of these habits that I have. I trust you in providing for me when I go work out. I trust you for the right nutrition. I trust you for all the right vitamins and minerals that I need to partake, but I'm not going to trust you with my habit of alcohol and drugs because that makes me feel really good. I'll be Lord over that. God, I trust you fully. I, I trust you as my God, as my Savior, as my comforter, as my director, as my guide, as my friend. but I'm actually going to serve the God of money. I'm actually going to serve the God of the world because the God of the world gives me certain pleasures that you say I shouldn't have. But I trust you with everything. I I really do, but not that one. See, I I think we get an insight here, an insight that God is not looking for even the, the perfect trust. He's looking for the willingness to trust and walk with Him. The willingness to trust and walk with Him. And that comes when we reframe our mind to see Him working in life even when we can't see it. When we have the opportunity to start to get out of the habits, the drugs and the alcohol, and He's providing us the right people around us, the right programs around us, the right support system around us to get out of it. It's not a perfect a perfect trust here. It's actually a willingness to trust him every single step of the way and see him working and providing and sustaining and reaching his righteous right hand down into the pit where we are dwelling in and pulling us out and saying, my child, my child, I love you so deeply. Trust me. And he knows we fall. We know that we fail. But here's the goodness of this, right? Here's a good story. He's there every single step of the way. He's there to provide and to love and to show grace and mercy. It's a willingness to trust even when things don't make sense, even when we can't make it make sense. It's the willingness in your child to trust that at a young age that you're going to provide, you're going to care and support for them. That every morning when they wake up, that you're going to provide food, You're going to provide and care for them. You're going to change their diaper, put new clothes on them. You're going to hold them. It's also the trust your elementary child has that you're not going to forget them. It's also the trust that you're going to be there for them. You're going to champion them. But it's also the trust of your teenage child. It's the trust that they have in you that you're going to walk with them through the tough times. That you're gonna coach them and growing in life, and you're also gonna help try to set them up for the future. It's also the trust that your adult children maybe have. That you truly gave your best intentions and your best for them. And that you were there for them the best way you knew how, every step of the way. It's the moments that God is inviting us into. In every aspect of our life, it's the moment where we reframe our mind to know and believe that in everything God is present. It's a moment where we reframe our mind to know and believe that God is truly present in our life. It's a shift. And many of us have things that have happened to us in our lives that have shaped us, good or bad. Many of us can look back at our lives and say, man, there are certain situations that were very frustrating but it shaped who I was. But there's also situations that were incredibly great and it shaped who we were. Craig in his book puts, he says it this way, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it and look at it. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it and look at it. He goes on in the same paragraph to say that we can reframe our past and preframe our future will change our life. If we reframe our past, yeah, this was a really sticky situation. It wasn't fun. I was really frustrated with it. If we preframe it to say God was present still in the pit. God was present still in that situation. God was present in that relationship. God was present in the addiction. God was present in all of the moments where I felt insecure and unworthy. God was present. Reframing the perspective and then pre framing our future. God will be present when I go through hard things. God will provide when the economy crashes and I have no idea what to do. God will not leave me nor forsake me when I cry out and I have nowhere else to turn. If we understand that we can look at our past in a different lens and look towards our future with the lens of the Heavenly Father, we can truly understand how God is working in both of those moments and even right here, right now in our own lives, each and every step of the way. Another way that I've been told to do this is uh, change the game. Change the game. A mentor once told me, I remember Literally complaining to him. Just venting. I called him up. And I was like, dude, I need a vent session. And he's like, all right, man. Your 30 minutes starts now. And I was like, great. And I just started going off. And I hear a timer go off. And I was like, oh, man, that went really fast. I don't believe you. It was 30 minutes. And then he just simply said this. So Kyle, like life has be- uh, dealt you a pretty crummy hand. And I said, Yes! And he goes, just change the game. I was like, explain that. Change the game. Well, Kyle, you've been been trying to play go fish in your life. But the, the hand you have is not a good go fish type of hand. So what if you're not supposed to play go fish right now, but maybe you're supposed to play Old Maid? Oh. Or... When that season changes and now, again, life deals you another blow, another crummy hand, and you're like, well, I was playing Old Maid, and I was winning. I like to win. Maybe now you're supposed to play Uno. Change the game. Because it's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when life changes, my God doesn't change. Change. And so even in the the deep bad situations in this hand and the, the rough situations in this hand and even the rough situations over here, my God is still the same. He's just changing the game and I just need to catch up. Change the game. Reframe your mind and understand and look at life the way he does. What a dynamic shift we can make when we just simply do this. When we reframe our mind to see the circumstances and events and how God is working We get a divine perspective for our lives. Can you imagine walking through life, looking at life through the lens of the Father, the heavenly Father? Even in the moments where we are so far down, he just looks at us and he says, I'm still right here. I'm still right here. As we close today, Josh is going to come up and um, I'm not going to lie. This is, uh, (laughs) I wrote this message before Guatemala. And so what I have here um, is not where we're going to end today. Change the game. I met multiple pastors in multiple ministries. And uh, a lot of these guys came from broken backgrounds, guys who were written off. And when God changed the game and they caught up, things moved in their lives. Mountains moved. Ex-gang members are leaving churches. In the middle of the hood... We're playing soccer as gang members are doing their thing over in the corner. And as we're playing soccer with these kids, the gospel's being preached. They're sharing the story of God's provision. In one of the poorest areas in Guatemala, they're sharing the story of, of the feeding of the 5,000. they're catching up when God is changing the game and they're living in it and they're saying, I'm here for it. We're talking about men and women who have been dealt rough hands since the moment they were born. Some kids being born into a family where a father is a drug dealer and that's all they know. So what do they grow up to become? A drug dealer. But God changes the game. He captures their heart, and then guess what happens? They say, no, I'm I'm out of this lifestyle. I'm not doing that anymore. Instead, God is calling me to plant a church in the middle of the hood. We're talking the middle of the ghetto of the hood, brokenness all around, and their life goal right now is, you know what? Wherever God leads me, I will follow. Wherever God calls me, I will go. Whatever danger, whatever persecution, whatever struggles I may walk into, I know my God is stronger than the gangs. My God is stronger than the drug cartel. There is nothing in Guatemala, there is nothing in the U.S., there is nothing in Michigan that is more powerful or stronger than my God. And I am not going to walk in fear. I'm going to walk knowing that God, even in the crummy situations, even in the crummy hands, God is still God and he is reigning supreme. Amen. And that's our mindset. We need to have the shift in our lens and take off the, the goggles of our culture and say, God, you are God and you are God alone. And I will walk in trust with you. My life may be hard. But yet, but yet, it is well with my soul. I don't know what you walked in with today. I don't even know what I walked in with today. But I can tell you this. There's something in our lives that we have to reframe our perspective. For some of us, it might be our job. For others of us, it might be a relationship. There's even some of us who who maybe we need to reframe our life. And a lot of times we ask the question, of, what does that mean? How, does, how do I do that? The greatest way to fight your battle, this battle in life, is on your knees before the throne of God. Knowing that the angel armies are standing by and they are fighting and they are ready for war. So whatever you need to reframe today, um, I want to invite you to get uncomfortable. There's some of us who need to go to God in prayer today. And so maybe God is prompting you and he's nudging you and he's moving you to take a step and to plead on your knees for him to come and remove the goggles that you've been walking with life in and give you his own lens, his own goggles. And here's what we're going to do. I want to invite you, and I mean this. It's going to be awkward for some of us, and that's okay. If you're feeling God moving you to reframe something in your life, I want to invite you to the front during this next song. You You can kneel. You can grab a chair towards the front here. And I would love the opportunity to just pray over you. I don't need to know what it is because God does. But if that's you where you need to just intercede and just plea and and lay out your cries before God, the front is going to be open where you can come and you can pray. I would love the opportunity to pray for you. And I know that's very uncomfortable for some of us. I truly believe that God meets us in the uncomfortableness, in the inconveniences, in the struggles. He is present right there, each and every step of the way. So during this next song, this the front is going to be open. And as we sing, I want to invite you to come and to, um, to just go to God in prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go to God and worship as well. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you praise. We give you thanks. And God, we just fall before you. We fall before you broken. We fall before you lost. We fall before you even searching and doubting sometimes. And God, as we fall at your feet, we glance up and we see you sitting on high not anxious, not worried, not confused. But as you sit there, your son sits next to you, the Prince of Peace. And we know that your peace will overflow from him into us and overflow from us to those around us, Lord. That you are with us, that you are near. That your spirit is present, that there is a tangible move of God happening in this community. But God, we know that there's a tangible move of you happening all over this globe. And God, I pray that if you're calling us to more, if if you're calling us to take that step and to come to the front today, Lord, that we would not ignore it, but rather we would embrace it, that we would walk with you, that we would go to you in prayer and we would lay down every single worry, every single fear, every single doubt, every single question, every single whatever it might be, Lord, at your feet, knowing that you hear us and that you will move the mountains. You will move the mountains, Lord, so that we can continue to walk with you. So, Father, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And we open up this front as an altar, an altar of prayer, an altar of praise. Let everything that happens here be for you and your glory today, Lord. We love you. We praise in your name. Amen.